It is good to be back, and this is episode eight of the Recovering Investment Banker podcast. You know, it's it's interesting, Chris. The topic today comes from readers of your book, Crisis Deluxe, and that's really cool. And, and part of the reason we created this podcast was to explain the financial system. But you you have a really compelling story in your novel, and one of the readers in particular reached out, and they want to know what it was that was actually the crisis in Crisis Deluxe that you address in your novel. So in this episode, I thought, hey, you know, maybe you can explain some of these complex topics that brought around the or brought about the actual Asian financial crisis, even though it's fictionalized in your book. So Chris Kaufman, the actual recovering investment banker, are you ready to get into this? Hi, Eric. Yes, I am. Always ready to go wherever you lead. Oh, well, me leading. Even I don't really understand it, but I I guess I'll start um, in your book. My understanding of the crisis was you had a major, uh, well, I'm going to call it a foreign bank because we're in the United States, but a major holding operation known as TransPAC. And TransPAC was dealing in bonds, and they were dealing those bonds to bad actors and didn't have the cash to pay back the debt when they ran into trouble. That's basically the extent of my understanding I hope I'm even right about that. So please elaborate. Okay. Well, yeah, that's a pretty good summary. Um, and I'll just dive in a little bit deeper. The, you know, the reader who reached out, she's actually a doctor. She's a smart person. And uh, so she understands finances. She's got her IRA and her you know, 401k and all that kind of stuff. But she wanted to understand more. She wasn't sure she quite got what was going on, what Dusty was trying to accomplish and the magnitude of the crisis he faced. Dusty being the main character. Yeah, exactly. The investment banker who flies in to try and save this failing acquisition. So basically, as so often happens in life, uh, Transpac is in trouble because of its strengths. Transpac is actually a brilliant, innovative investment bank that's pioneering something that's very difficult to do and they're pulling it off well. And that was they were raising money in foreign currencies in Asia. So in other words, they weren't just raising money in euros or dollars or yen. They were going to the local currencies of you know, Korea and Indonesia and Malaysia, uh, Singapore, and selling bonds denominated in those currencies. Now, that might not sound like a difficult thing to do, but you know, if people like McDonald's hamburgers and you're trying to sell them on you know, Viennese Wiener Schnitzel, you'll realize you've got to figure out how to persuade people not to buy a McDonald's hamburger, which they know and like, and buy a Viennese Wiener Schnitzel. And that's basically what Transpac was doing very, very successfully. And so it was a very exciting company. And Dusty's employer, Coldstream Holdings New York, really wants to buy them because they're the best at what they do, which is raising money in Asian currencies. But as Crisis Deluxe opens... Dusty's in Argentina, and he gets sent to Hong Kong because the Asian, there's, a, there's an Asian financial crisis brewing, and it's being caused by the devaluation of currencies across Asia. Now, that wasn't Transpac's fault, but it was Transpac's problem. Right, because they were dealing in those currencies big time. Well, exactly. And the point of that is, and this is something that we all have to be very aware of, whether we uh, you know, invest cross-border or not. The moment you mismatch your assets and your liabilities, you're taking a risk. So for us, for example, uh, a house would be an asset and a bank loan is a liability, for example. Um, 
with with investment banks, it's it's different. But basically, what Transpac was doing was its assets were denominated in one group of currencies, and most of its liabilities, its borrowings, were denominated in another form of currency. So let's just keep this simple. If you have a million pounds sterling in cash, but you've raised that money by borrowing U.S. dollars, and then you bought the, the, the million pounds worth of sterling, and the, the sterling drops 50%, you still owe that million dollars you borrowed to buy it. But the dollars didn't, didn't decline in value, only the pound did. So you've got a big problem on your hands. Now, if you have half a million dollars kind of lying around in your other bank accounts, you sell the million pounds, you take a half a million dollar loss, you take a half million dollars out of your other bank accounts, and you repay the million dollars you borrowed. But if you don't have that other half a million bucks, you are in big trouble. And that's basically what happens to Transpac. As, as Dusty arrives in Hong Kong, many of the currencies that their assets were denominated in had declined by 50%. Wow. So well, let me get this straight. So they're buying assets in these smaller countries, small currencies, mm-hmm. with major currencies like U.S. dollars. And they're buying them and trading them and doing all this stuff. And then those smaller currencies just start hemorrhaging value. Correct. And just plummeting. Correct. But they still owe the full value in dollars, yeah. even though they can't recuperate from the currencies they've invested in. Correct. Now, <clears throat> what they were trying to do, and this gets into levels of complexity, they were trying to actually raise deposits in those currencies as well. So they would fund a, a Indonesian bond partly with Indonesian deposits. That's what's called matching your assets and your liabilities. But they couldn't completely do that. They were growing too fast. So they're borrowing hard, what we call hard currencies, and they're doing the foreign exchange, and they're issuing these assets in local currencies. And those assets declined, as, as the book opens, by 50%. So at that point, they're in big trouble, but they've got other assets and they've got equity, which would be your half a million dollars in your bank account that you could, if you had to, repay your million dollars worth after you sold your strolling position. It'd be very painful, but you wouldn't be bankrupt. Um, and so they have equity. But, uh, you know, as it, as it opens, Dusty's talking to Sebastian Nin, who's the head of bond trading and the mastermind of this operation. And he says, you know, you had a billion dollars in equity very recently in your company. Now you've got half that at best. And that's because they have to fund the losses in their local currency positions. And it just gets worse. The currencies keep dropping. So that's their, in, that's their essential position as the, as the book opens. But there's another problem, and that problem is something we also all face. There is a mismatch in the timing, not just the currencies, but the timing of their assets and liabilities. So, for example, let me give you a, uh, a, a wonderful, guaranteed, uh, get-rich opportunity, but you're going to have to navigate one small challenge. And that's time. Yes. Here's my here's my opportunity for you. I will I will borrow a million dollars from you, and I will repay you two million dollars in ten years, which is a pretty good interest rate. Yeah. Um, but you have to fund. You you have to borrow the million dollars 
um, short-term from a bank. Um, let's make it even more more specific. You have to you have to borrow and reborrow that million dollars. You have to roll it over every month for the next ten years. Roll it over. What? Hold on. Roll it over. What does that mean? Well, the bank will say, "Okay, you know, Mister Knight, uh, you borrowed a million dollars from us. You still have a very good income. We like you know your profile. You've got good assets. So we'll loan you that million dollars again for next month. Now, meanwhile, you know that in ten years or now." Uh, nine years and 11 months from now, you're going to get $2 million. So you have $2 million coming. You're not really worried about it. You just have to pay some interest as long as the bank keeps loaning you the money every month again. And assuming you're going to pay me back. Well, but true. But let's say I'm going to. Yeah, that, that is Transpac's problem because Transpac issued bonds that weren't necessarily going to be paid back. That's another whole issue that they had too. But in this case, it's a simple timing issue. You just have to keep financially healthy and have that bank have no problems. And every month, that bank has to say, okay, you know, you're still a borrower in good standing. We like you. We're going to loan you that million dollars again for next month. Your problem is, is that three years down the track, you know, six months, three years, six months later, they may be merged. They may decide they don't want to make these loans anymore. You may... Um, your income may decline, You whatever. They might say, you know what, Mr. Knight, we're not going to loan you that money anymore. So you now have an asset now s- six years away, which is the $2 million you're going to receive from me. Mm-hmm. But you can't cash in. I'm not going to pay you for six years. Yeah, it's not a realized asset. That's right. And you now have to come, even though it's $2 million, and you have to come up with a million dollars now. So there was a timing gap. There's a timing gap. In fact, it's called the gap. Um, so all banks, all investment banks, manage what's called this gap between their assets and their liabilities. Because generally speaking, their, their, their assets are longer term and their liabilities tend to be shorter term. So that's all fine as long as people who are lending you money, because as a bank, you're, you're dealing with other people's money. As long as other people continue to be happy to give you the money, you're okay. You can wait around for 10 years and get $2 million from Chris Kaufman and make a million-dollar profit. But if through no fault of your own, you find that they're not, other people are no longer willing to loan you their money and demand that money back, you have to come up with it or you go bankrupt. So Even if you've got a, a, a million-dollar profit that's only five years or four years away. So let's let's take this into an example of that kind of money. It would be like a small business taking a business loan. Mm-hmm. Sure. If you don't have good standing with the bank and they call your line of credit, meaning, hey, we're done loaning to you. You owe us all our money now. And the business is still trying to catch up to that in revenue or sales or whatever. What happens then? Well, that's 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 a good example. Let's just let's just take the pool business for example. You just made a, a five million dollars sale to a great company in your in your industry, and um, but it's ninety day, one hundred and twenty day terms, and you get your your annual bank review, and the loan officer comes in and says, you know, Eric, it looks like a great business. You've been growing really, really well. I, you know, you're a terrific guy. Everyone says your products are ter- really awesome, and so if I can see you're profitable, but you know, 65% of your sales are in this one, one $5 million sale to this big company. And I'm worried that you've got concentration risk. I'm worried that, you know, you're overexposed to this one customer. I don't feel comfortable anymore lending you money. So 
you're working capital on them providing you that $250,000 to you know, pay your employees and keep your lights on. I'm sorry, Eric, I need that money back. You go, but, 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 but wait a minute, I, just, I, only need, I only have to wait another 92 days and you know, this corporation is going to pay me $5 million and I've got a you know, million-dollar profit locked into that. It only cost me $4 million. They go, yeah, well, that's all very interesting, Eric, and maybe there's a banker out there who might, in fact, agree that that's okay, but I just can't get comfortable with that. I'm sorry. I need to pull my $250,000. You need to pay me $250,000. Right now. Like right now, that's those. That, that was the agreement. It's a short-term working capital loan. I'm no longer comfortable. You think you're going to get your $5 million. Maybe you're right, but I don't want you betting with my money. So what are these? I mean, are, are there loans? Don't they have terms that you can say, well, that banker can't come to me? I know in this scenario he does, in this fictional scenario, but I'm sure it's happened before. But aren't there loans that say, hey, they can't come to you for the next 18 months or the next two years, whatever, then they can start asking those. No, sort it's, of- it's, it's actually the opposite of that. They have these, these loans and they basically, you sign a whole bunch of covenants and there's a whole bunch of things you have to comply with. And, um, you know, they can, they can look through the contract, the loan documentation and find any one of a bunch of little details that would give them the right to call the, call the working capital line if they wanted to. Okay. What about a mortgage? Could, uh, it's could the, the same bank thing. call me and say, hey, you got to pay off your house right now, even though I've never missed a payment and I'm following no. everything in my contract? No, because you're complying with the covenants. And, and in fact, what happens is, and this is, we're getting a little bit off track here, but it's still worth knowing. The old story is, is if you, if you um, owe the uh, bank a million dollars and, the, and uh, they want you to pay it back and you can't, it's your problem. If you owe the bank $100 million, and these days it's more like a billion dollars, and they want you to pay it back and you can't. It's the bank. It's problem. their problem. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So the, the, the rules are different for people. But the bottom line is, is, is um, in, an, in a real scenario like that with a mortgage, it wouldn't be just your house. It would be the whole area for whatever reason. And the bank is just hoping and praying and, and crossing their fingers and toes that you keep paying your mortgage payment even though you're actually underwater now and your house is worth, worth less than their loan because they want you to keep, they, they actually don't want their loan back because they know you can't pay it and they don't want to be stuck with a house that's worth less than their loan. All right, so let's get back to Crisis Deluxe. So Dusty has flown from Argentina to Hong Kong to rescue the situation. What right. was he flown there to actually do? Yeah, right. Okay, great. So, so this is where, this is where the, you know, this is where it got tricky. And this is why, where Dusty tried to pull it off and without giving away the details, you know, um, it was a difficult thing to do and he got very close to doing it. So he, um, he came up with a couple plans. Um, and one of his plans was, uh, so this is probably where like Irene, our, my very intelligent reader, got a little bit lost. So if you have a house, basically your house is it's a pretty it's a physical asset. It's kind of worth what it's worth based upon how if the roof is good and you know electric electricity is good and where, and where it's located, where it's district, located, all that kind of stuff. That's right. But in the world of finance, financial assets are valued based upon um, a risk risk grading. Um, and you can have, you know, you and I, well, actually consumers do have different risks, risk gradings, you know, your, your credit score, basically, that's what it is. So, 
the, the, the central banks of all developed countries issue these essentially credit scores for all kinds of different kinds of assets. And so the first thing that, and based upon how many risky assets you have, according to the credit scores, you have to put more or less capital against them. And what that means is that's the half a million dollars you had in another bank account to pay back that million dollar loan when your sterling position dropped in half. So that that is what happens from time to time. And central banks go, okay, well, if you're going to invest in these kinds of assets, you need to have more cash to back them up. You need more equity in your bank in case those assets drop. So what Dusty first does is he says, okay, let's let's go look at the risk scores of all the assets that Transpac owns. And let's see if they're being artificially penalized because the assets, the credit score on the assets is supposedly bad, but we know they can be paid back. So, so he does that. And so he and Sebastian go to talk to some of their borrowers who have, in fact, are very strong borrowers, even though their bonds are being considered to have a, a low credit score. But Sebastian and Dusty know that they actually could pay back their bonds tomorrow, no problem. And so they offer to pay them back at a discount. And what that does is that takes some of the bad credit scoring out of Transpac's portfolio. Or as you said in our episode about underwriting, they've just de-risked quite a bit. Even though they take a discount, they're taking cash in, so their risk is smaller. That's exactly right. Oh, man, look at me. It's like I'm learning from you, Chris. You're nailing it, man. You're nailing it. Someday you'll be an investment banker, and then after that you'll be a recovering investment banker. Oh, that's right, man. I I, I don't think I would even last a full day, but okay. Okay, yeah, all right, I'm tracking. This is actually That's exactly right. This is making sense. That's exactly right. So they're trading trading a – Dusty's idea is to trade an asset with a poor credit score, which means that they have to have more equity uh, for cash. Even though they're giving up some cash, they're still getting a lot of cash up front. That's cash denominated in U.S. dollars, right? Uh, well, they can do the trade. That's right. They repay them and they can quickly trade. They can just sell sell that currency for U.S. dollars and repay the U.S. dollar obligations. That's right. So they're, they're narrowing the gap. They're de-risking their portfolio and they're raising cash. So the other thing that, but, but so the point is, is that, but it's all about sentiment. You know, markets are driven by fear and greed. And so the other thing that Dusty knows, and Sebastian knows this too, but he doesn't have, he's just not, he's just under too much stress to really focus on it. Dusty knows that he's got to send a signal of strength to the markets about Transpac. The Transpac is doing fine because everyone starts to go to very dark places when they get anxious. We all do. And that's how markets function too. So what Dusty does is he goes to people that he know are predatory exploiters, and he pretends to accidentally reveal information to them and, of course, seeds the idea, but they think they're stealing his idea, and that is to start buying Transpac bonds. Now, the reason you do that, so Transpac issues bonds, and this is actually the problem, they're issuing bonds in hard currencies and then converting those currencies into local currencies for their assets, and those assets are declined. So, so their bonds, one of, the, one of the ways that, in fact, one of the most important functions of markets is to identify things that are worth value and things that are actually not worth value or things that are declining in value. And 
Transpac's bonds are declining in value, which means that's signaling that there's a problem at Transpac. Now, of course, markets, people don't play fair in markets. They have to be legal, but they don't have to be fair. And people will sell short and they'll beat up on assets, uh, even that don't deserve to be beaten up on. And that's probably what's happening in Transpac in Crisis Deluxe, but I'm not, I don't go into that level of detail. So the point here is, is that Dusty pretends to be accidentally revealing information, knowing that the people he's talking to will steal his idea. And the idea is to scoop up Transpac bonds. Which is what he wants them to do. But he actually, of course, wants them to do that, exactly as you said. So that it sends a signal out that big players are investing in Transpac. Don't panic. And the prices start going up. Once you change the supply-demand dynamics and somebody starts buying, you start to, the prices start to rise again. How often do you think this actually happens in the real world? Like this kind of hmm. manipulation of... Oh, it happens all the time. Uh, yeah, so I had day, a good... Daily, you think? When I'm, oh, pfft, billions of times a day. Oh, wow. One of my buddies, um, who I maybe I'll induce one day to be on our, our podcast, um, started off in the bond trading operation of the legendary Lou Glucksman at Lehman Brothers. I'll talk about that some of the time. Awesome, awesome background. And um, we were once talking about Michael Milken. I don't know if do you know who Michael Milken is. No, I don't. Yeah, okay. So your generation, you know, your generation probably has never heard of him. But he was the original guy who invented what were called junk bonds. And to my mind, he's a financial genius and one of the great benefactors of the world in the 20th century for reasons we can talk about some of the time. But he ultimately pissed off all the big corporations who got their senators and congressmen to get the government all aroused. And to be fair, uh, Michael Milken attracted a bunch of greedy, rapacious people who weren't necessarily as principled as he was, uh, and they did do some bad things. Anyway, Michael ended up, he was, they, the government threatened him and his brother and his family with going to prison. So he did a plea bargain, and he went to prison for three years or five years or something like that. But to my mind, the guy's a genius, and he got railroaded. Anyway, the point of all this is, is that I was talking to my buddy Kevin one time. This is years ago. Kevin's a bond trader. And he said, you know what? I'm sure that Michael Milken actually was guilty of those security violations. He said, the reason is because he started out as a bond trader like me. And the bond markets, and this may no longer be true with Sarbanes-Oxley and everything else, but this is a conversation going back a ways. He said, my buddy tells me the bond markets are almost completely unregulated because there are professional markets. In, small investors can't get involved in the bond markets. So basically, you know, if you can't play, you better not step on the field. It's kind of like the NFL. And it's a very, very tough market out there. And people do all kinds of stuff to pick each other out. And they do all kinds of crazy things. Constantly. Constantly. All the time. Um, but they're professional. If you can't play pro ball, you know, you can get your leg broken, don't suit up. And so Kevin's analysis was Michael started out in the bond markets, and when he went into the equity markets, uh, he ended up doing things which are perfectly legal in the bond markets. But the equity markets, which are, of course are available to small investors, are very heavily regulated, and you can't do those things. So Kevin's assessment was, yeah, he's a genius, but he actually was violating equity rules because he came out of the bond market. So the long and short of this is, is that what Dusty does is in the bond markets, where people hit very hard. Um, and that's, in fact, what these people think they're doing to Dusty. But they only realize when it's too late, he's actually outsmarted them. 
But having said that, whether or not that saves Transpac, we'll just leave for the reader to find out. Mm-hmm. Right. So he, he comes in. Let's see if I can summarize. He comes into a shitty situation. The yeah. value of these Asian currencies are just plummeting by the day. Yeah. He comes in to try to send a signal to the rest of the world. Hey, Transpac is actually still strong by manipulating right. some people to buy into Transpac, buy their bonds, get the price back up so people don't panic and dump all of their shares in Transpac so that Transpac doesn't collapse. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's trying to raise cash from those bonds and selling things at a discount, anything he can to de-risk the portfolio so that he can make this acquisition actually happen. How did I do right. You did. That's great. And let me add one other piece because there's a kind of ticking time bomb in there, which I didn't mention before. But that's exactly right, what you've said so far, Eric. Um, and the thing is, Dusty does believe in this company. He realizes that this is a brilliant company. It's a great idea. It's going to happen. And by the way, it has happened. Asian Asian bonds are there's huge numbers of Asian bonds now being sold. This you know so. It is a great company, but it's been hit hard by short-term volatility. And remember what I was telling you about, you know, every month you've got to roll over your million dollars so you can get $2 million from me in 10 years instead of one? They, their run rate is $100 million a week. They have to repay $100 million a week and hopefully get the same borrowers to reloan them the money. Just like you would need the bank to reloan you the money for you to st- wait ten years to get a million a week. Oh yeah, but they have a five billion dollar balance sheet. That's not that big a deal. Oh. It's fine. Oh it's okay. Gosh. But it is a hundred million bucks. And if everyone gets panicky and thinks Transpac's going down the gurgler, they're going to say, Yeah, yeah, no, I do want my hundred million dollars. I'm not going to loan it to you again. I want it back. And that could be okay. But if next week they all want their money back, and and then at the end of the month. They owe $400 million. So basically, over the next month, they have to turn over almost a billion dollars, either repay or get the borrowers to loan it to them again. So that's the problem. So Dusty does these things to send signals to the markets so that when the borrowers have their $100 million come due, they go, you know what, Sebastian, I'll roll over my $100 million again. No problem. You can borrow it again for another month. Right. No worries. Otherwise, they call their debt and Transpac is crushed. It's ex- exactly. We talked about this before. It goes into a liquidity crisis and it collapses. I think it would be worth us doing an episode on liquidity. We talk about that um, not so much on this podcast, but we should because I, that's still a concept. I know, I know it's cash flow and all that, but I'd like to really dive into liquidity more. It's a buzzword okay. that I still don't really comprehend. And I think uh, I think our listeners can get some value out of that. Is there anything else okay. you want to add? No, no, Eric, I think this has been good. And hopefully uh, Irene and other readers will now get another level of understanding about the uh, hoops that Dusty's jumping through as he tries to save what could be a great company that's ended up with without a lot of friends and a lot of enemies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been Episode 8 of the Recovering Investment Banker Podcast. I'm Eric, and this has been Chris Kaufman, the author of Crisis Deluxe. If you haven't read it, it's a pretty fun novel to read. You can get it on Amazon. Again, it's just called Crisis Deluxe. And uh, I think it's kind of cool because it's coming from a perspective of a true insider. Like, I don't think most novelists would be able to write to the depth that you did on that actual financial crisis. So it was pretty fascinating for me. Oh, well, thank you, Eric. Thank you for explaining it today. And until next time, take care, everyone.